Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. Good to be here. I'm so keen for this. It's going to be a great night. We're talking about Acts. Who did week one last week? Um, all about Jesus before he ascended into heaven. It was awesome. But this is, this is the big one, Acts 2, all right? And I'm so keen, honestly. So we're going to pick up the story from where Sue left off last week. Um, I would, like, if you know Acts 2, Pentecost, there's a big sort of coming of the Holy Spirit at the start. Super crucial, but I don't want to talk about it too much. And then I want to look at the very, the response to that. Um, and that's really what I, what I want to get into tonight. But we probably should talk about the first bit, because uh, that's important. And so we're just going to read through it, and then uh, we'll just pull some bits out, and then we'll get into the real good stuff. Uh, okay, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. This is like huge, huge moment, all right? This is the moment where the Holy Spirit's come down from heaven. Jesus has gone back. It's 40 days. Jesus was with the disciples. He left went to heaven. Ten days later, he comes down. Disciples were kind of probably 50-50 on the whole thing. But then he comes down ten days later on Pentecost. What a coincidence. This is big as well because they, it's, it says, you know, they were speaking in tongues. They weren't speaking in just gibberish tongues. It was literal languages. And if you go on to read, there's, um, you know, the different regions of where uh, Jews had come to Jerusalem. And these are, they're not just, it's not gibberish. It's, it's, it's literal languages. It's like, if, you know, Mark's are speaking Polish right now, which I'm pretty sure he can. No. Three words. Oh, okay, I was wrong. Well, say, yeah, 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 no, if, if you could, it would, you know, I would be like, well, I wouldn't know, would I? It's like if I was speaking Polish, is what it, no, you don't understand Polish. It's like, it's like if you hypothetically understood Polish and I started speaking Polish, that's what it would be like, okay? Anyway, I just finished the HSC um, recently. I don't know, this happened last time, I got really, anyway. Um... <laughs> I just finished the HSC, and at St. Philip's, Waratah at least, they do this thing where we graduate before we do the exams. And so I feel like this resurrection and then the Holy Spirit come, it's like you graduate, like Jesus dies on the cross, but then you just got like all these exams, which are like the most important part. And when you finish the exams, I feel like that's what it's like when the Holy Spirit comes, because you're finally done, the deed's finally done. Exactly. I feel like that's what I'm, that's all I could think of at the moment, you know. Anyway... It's crazy. We're talking about, like, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the Logos, the thing that created the universe, the very universe itself. It's the guy who determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. And this everlasting God is the guy who's just come down from heaven and gone into these people. Can you imagine what that is like? It's like the, the thing that created the universe has literally just come, like, it's in you now. Crazy times. I can't really do it justice to describe what that's like. I really hope that the Holy Spirit's speaking into you for, like, to explain what that really means. But I've got Isaiah 40 here, which I feel like does it some sort of justice. 
nothing to what it is, but maybe 1%. And it goes like this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counsellor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him, and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands and as, as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not, for, is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burning offerings. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing." And that's the guy who's just come into you, your hearts, right? That's the guy who has just come into the hearts of the disciples. There's this thing in like the Old Testament, it's called the tabernacle, it's like a tent. And there's a place in there and it's called the holiest of holies. And no one can go in there. You go in there and you die. And previously, that's what the presence of God was. You go into it and you die, okay? The presence of God, which no, not even Moses, could. Moses is jealous of you because of this. The great Moses, the guy who's, you know, the burning bush, he throws his stick. It's like I threw this mic down and then suddenly it turned into a stake. Not a stake, that would be good. A snake. Steak's good as well. That's a, yeah, contemporary adaptation of the text. I, uh, yeah, I throw the mic down and it becomes a stake. It's like that. Moses is the guy who saw all that and this is the guy who's jealous of you. Because the presence of God, this is not funny, Yavos, this is major. The presence of God is in you because of this. Great, well, that's just all I wanted to talk about for that. Let's move on. Eternal significance, this moment in a scripture. Um, summary, long story short, Peter goes on. He is just full of the spirit and he addresses the creator, tries to break it all down. Um, yeah, one I heard a preacher note, uh, mention once that Peter didn't preach a sermon and then experience the Holy Spirit. He experienced the Holy Spirit, and then he gets up to preach a sermon, which I feel like is something that's not always done in churches. Um, yeah, his ministry comes from a position of presence, and I think that is something that is fundamental um, in the church. Anyway, he breaks it all down, and he gets to the end, and we're at 37 now, and this is what the believers do. 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other, other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted the, his message were baptized, and about 300 were added to their number that day. It gets even better. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's a beautiful picture of the first believers in the first church. They were in total unison with each other, fully concerned with bringing glory to God. That, that's all they could think about. There was no other agenda there. 
sort of like a glimpse of heaven. There was nothing else tainted in that moment by the world. All they wanted to do was bring glory to God. And I really believe that that's an experience that doesn't get old and has not aged since then. I really believe that that is something that we should be actively engaging in. That's what our lives should look like, just full glory to God. So I want to look at three uh, characteristics of the people's response in that passage uh, to the coming of the Spirit. I think they're really key aspects to, to what this fully surrendered, Spirit-led life uh, looks like. And I, I really hope that the Spirit enlightens you to that. Number one is empowerment. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to the other apostles, brothers, brothers, sorry, brothers, what shall we do? And I think that's, I, I titled that um, the message of this cut to the heart. That's a super heavy metaphor. They, they, it, it kind of tries to illuminate their really deep emotional response to what the Spirit was doing and to what Peter was saying. They were powerfully moved and stirred by the Holy Spirit. And if you've encountered that before, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. And I cannot describe it. There are no words can do it justice because it's supernatural and of God and nothing we can do can describe that. But they were super stirred, empowered by the Spirit. They were in a complete state of worship, adoration and in awe towards the Father. They had a spiritually fueled hunger for God and um, they were filled with this conviction. What shall we do? They were like, what's next? You know, what, what? The Holy Spirit was moving to them and that empowered them to do something. They were experiencing what we're talking about, the, like the inherent power and love of God for you. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The love of God is literally in you. Thomas Akempis sheds light on this, the effect of this divine love upon the believers. This has got to be the greatest book I've ever read, by the way. And it goes like this. The love of Jesus is wonderful and inspires us to noble actions. It encourages us always to desire perfection. Love yearns for higher things and is not held back by worthless things. Love wants to be free and a stranger to worldly desires. When they were filled with the love of Jesus, they didn't care. They just were moved and wanted to just, they didn't even know what they wanted to do. They just were like, what shall we do? They just wanted to, they were just empowered. They had no idea. It's supernatural. They didn't understand. Cut to the heart is sort of Old Testament language for the covenant of circumcision, which God made with Abraham. Deuteronomy 36, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Holy Spirit's removing the tainted elements of these disciples. He's softening their hearts and allowing them to love God with all their heart and soul. As Moses said so long earlier, so, so many years earlier, he's revealing the beauty of humanity and restoring them into their unique, like the, the uniqueness that they were made to be. Um, the old self is pierced by the Holy Spirit and washed away. And uh, as Paul writes, the new creation is unveiled. And we're being transformed in the same way into people who can love God with all our hearts and all our souls, but we need the Holy Spirit to do it. And we're made for the Holy Spirit to do that in us. That's literally what we're made for. Psalm 95, which is attributed to David, attempts to sort of illustrate this as well. It says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our, of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song, for the Lord is great, the great King above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. 
The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. It's crazy to me that we are the people of his pasture, and he's God. It's crazy to me, and it was certainly crazy to these first believers. They were getting individually and internally transformed. They were called to action. They were powerfully stirred. They were filled with wonder and awe of our Saviour and mighty God, and they couldn't not worship him. They couldn't not do it because the Spirit was so present. They couldn't help themselves. And they were supernaturally empowered and responded with yeah, awe and praise and just indescribable zeal. Second point is repentance. Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Key here is repent and receive. Before I started preparing this, my understanding of repentance was off. Um, if we could bring up the definition, the we talk about dictionaries a lot in my things. I don't know, Matt Connett's not here, so repent. It's a verb. That's good to know. Feel or express sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin. The pad, whatever. In other words, it's penitence. Is a better way of describing it. The definition of repentance in the Bible is not the same. What Peter is saying is not feel sorry for your sins. This Erdman's Bible Dictionary, um, in that repentance is defined as a complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon the past and a deliberate redirection for the future. The biblical repentance that Peter is saying here when he says repent and be baptised isn't feel sorry for your sins and be baptised. He's saying turn to Jesus, turn around, reorientate your perspective and face Jesus. Although it's good to feel sorry because you, you're, you know, your sins, the thing, my, our sins I should say, are the things that... Um, Stuffed it all up in the first place and, and caused it to require Jesus. And it's good that we should feel sorry, but that's not what Peter is saying here. He wants them to turn to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says this, The true penitent repents of sin against God, and he would do so even if there were no punishment. When he is forgiven, he repents of sin more than ever, for he sees more clearly than ever the wickedness of offending so gracious a God. When we repent, we are consequently overcome by the Holy Spirit. And it's that spirit that opens our eyes even more to how good and kind and gracious our God is. So we must recognise our iniquities and the ways we fall short of the glory of God. But more importantly, we must partake in what Peter is saying in this process of repentance and turn to Jesus, embracing him as our saviour for the forgiveness of our sins. He's the vessel which God's grace is made available to us. We don't need to do anything or be perfect but we need to turn and face to Jesus and let him into our souls. We aren't put to shame or condemned for our sins, as it says in the New Testament, but instead we need to fix our eyes on Jesus as our Redeemer and we are liberated from the burden of our sins and we receive the Holy Spirit. When we do that, when we turn to Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And it says this salvation is a gift. It's made for us. It was always intended for us. But we must surrender to Jesus to receive it. When we receive it, the perspective of our souls is shifted, it's transformed. George Whitefield says this, True repentance will entirely change you. The bias of your souls will be changed. Then you will delight in God, in Christ, in his law, and in his people. 
the early believers were engulfed with this sense of repentance. They weren't sitting there crying and dwelling about how bad their sins were. They were worshipping God. They were engaged and fixated on what Jesus was doing. There was nothing else on their minds. We're called to live like this, immersed in this sense of repentance, to live a life of love and purity. A.W. Pink says, The Christian who has stopped repenting has stopped growing. What's the point of being a Christian if you don't turn to Jesus every day and just want more of him? When we turn and face him, we're filled with the Spirit. He works within us to transform our hearts and we become more like him. And the first church was all about that, completely concerned with him. Number three, community. I'm really excited about this. The fellowship of the believers, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Deep community and loving, loving unison were fostered when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. John Mark Comer points out that we are often more connected than ever, but so much more individual than ever. There's so many screens and we can communicate so easily, but we're so individual in the contemporary world. Our church community is not just a place we come here on a Sunday. We're coming here to be in family with one another, in perfect, pure harmony with one another. 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. We, we are coming here to be in common with each other. And the one thing we have in common is that Jesus is our saviour. And that's what we're focused on. When Jesus is the centre, the power of the enemy and the worries of the world are just diminished. They, they go. Um, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, the people were in unison because of their common focus on Jesus, despite their differences. And something that was uh, found out the other day, Jesus' disciples, you got Simon the Zealot, Matthew the tax collector, and I didn't know what a zealot was till the other day, but apparently the zealots were an aggressive and radical political party of Second Temple Judaism who strongly opposed Roman rule. They turned against and tried to kill anyone who cooperated with Rome. The name zealot means those who are zealous on behalf of God. They sought to incite rebellion against the Roman Empire and expel them from the Holy Land. Matthew the tax collector was the opposite. He was a Jew working for the Romans. It wasn't just Simon. People resented tax collectors everywhere for their treachery and corruption. But you can only imagine the political tension between Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector. You can only imagine it. We see crazy things today, but you can just imagine what these guys would talk about when Jesus was, you know, up praying. <laughs> and it would have been controversial. But when the Holy Spirit came, everyone had everything in common. Individual differences were put aside because the love of God overcame them. And there's only one thing you need to focus on when the Holy Spirit is in the room, and that's Jesus. There's a Greek word, koinonia, which is used about 20 times in the New Testament. It can be translated into a bunch of English words, uh, fellowship, association, community, communion, intercourse, joint participation, which is two words. But we often talk about how the meaning of the Greek well, we, I like to talk about it. The meaning of the original Greek is lost in translation. 
And this is so true for this koinonia. When Peter describes the fellowship of the believers, he's not just describing a social gathering. He's depicting a deep level of intimate community between the people with a mutual concentration on Jesus. It's so much deeper than just being here and, and listening to, you know, worshipping Jesus, listening to the preacher. It's so much more than that. Martin Luther says, To gather with God's people in united adoration of the Father is as necessary to the Christian life as prayer. Community and fellowship here with each other focused on Jesus is just as important as prayer. When the Holy Spirit is present, koinonia takes place, and it's so deep. We went to Youth Alive the other week, and it's just like the koinonia there is off the scale. It's crazy. You've got thousands and thousands of people who just don't care about anything, and they're just worshipping, and it's the, the community there. No one needs to talk to each other. They're all worshipping God, but the community there is profound. The people centred on their new life had this profound community. Romans 12, 12, uh, 12, 2, I should say, says, Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Holy Spirit was transforming these people's hearts, and as a result, their perspective was shifted from worldly worries to a heavenly agenda. They were extraordinarily aware of God's will, and that caused them to have radical love for each other and express koinonia, which was untouchable by the enemy. They had community because they, their perspective was shifted on focusing on Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. This, it's, the koinonia is not just in Acts. It's throughout the whole New Testament. Paul loves talking about it. It's one of his central concerns. Because of Jesus, we have the Spirit of God within us. I still can't get over that. The, the guy who made... The universe is in all of us. It's just crazy to me. And one thing Paul likes to say is, do you not realise that we're temples of the Holy Spirit? The people sitting next to you have the presence of God in them. So why would we not treat them the same way as we worship God? Because not that we're worshipping people, but these people are so precious. We are all precious and unique because we have the presence of God in us, the logos of the world that, that within them. And so we need to focus purely on Jesus and be in harmony with one another as a result and experience koinonia and journey through life together in awe of the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like to invite the band back up and we're going to just respond to this. I really think the Spirit wants you to just understand how amazing and how good he is. But I think we, he really wants us to just be in awe of him today. So are you someone who wants to receive empowerment and transformation or move, or be moved by the magnitude of God's grace and love and power? Is that you? Is that someone who, uh, just think to yourself, is that you? Because that's me. That's, that's why I keep coming to church. Or are you someone who needs or wants to just turn to Jesus and repent? You can feel sorry for your sins. That's great. But do you want to just turn to Jesus? Maybe for the first time, turn to Jesus. Surrender yourself and just be in the loving presence of the Father. Is that you? Think to yourself now. And maybe you can be both. But if you want to be in awe of God, if that's something 
you want to do or if you want to repent and turn to Jesus and if that's something you want to live your life by can you stand up if you're one of those categories and maybe it's not just I want that and that's, maybe it's not that you that is what your identity is and it's not that yes that's who I am but maybe you just want to experience that and just be in awe for the first time or alternatively you just want that because it's Sunday and you're here at church and that's what this life is to just worship Jesus I invite you to stand up and so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on Jesus together we all have the common goal and it all comes down to loving others and being a disciple and, and worshipping God and um, we're going to implement some community into that and so we're going to pray with each other carry each other's burdens and there's no shame or anything in this because we're one family we're just focused on Jesus nothing else matters we're going to encounter him together um you don't have to pray out loud, but it's okay to sit and just be silent and do your own thing and just experience the love of God and be in the presence of Jesus. But I invite you to just form a small group with the people around you and just pray with them. Just pray for a greater awareness of Jesus, a greater understanding and just awe and wonder for Him. Or maybe you want to turn to Him. I invite you to pray together. Um, yeah, to, to have strength to turn to Jesus. Um, but yeah, let's do that now. We're going to take a couple of minutes to pray together. Um, ask people about form groups with the people around you. I'm going to do so as well. Um, and if you want to pray, pray, like try stepping out praying for someone and just, you know, ask if you can put your hand on them and pray for them. And let's experience Jesus together in this place. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.